Empire. The collector market is booming. With people home having access to these things, re-connecting with this hobby, you obviously had you know bigger names getting into this space earlier in, in, in 2020. That's Evan Vandenberg, CEO and co-founder of Dibs, where fractional ownership of memorabilia is a growing market. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The NBA Top Shot story is one of the huge, groundbreaking sports business stories of the pandemic. Scroll through the library of this podcast, and last fall, you'll find our interview with Katie Tedman of Dapper Labs before the gold rush, and you'll hear why she was so bullish on NFT marketplaces. Us old guys who still have real cards from decades ago have also seen our hobby slash investments skyrocket, and at Dibs, they're trying to find a way for investors of all levels to get in. Our guest this week is Evan Vandenberg, who is the CEO of Dibs, which is a new sports card marketplace where you can buy fractional ownerships of trading cards and other collectibles. Hey, Evan, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Bram. Thanks for having me. I'm doing uh, doing well. Um, nice uh, here. I'll get into Dibs with you in a moment, but I just want to just a general... There has been an explosion in pricing for collectibles, whether they're the ones I'm accustomed to, ones I can hold in my hand, or the digital collectibles. Did you foresee what was about to happen here in 2020 and 2021? Yeah, I mean, short answer, honestly, no. Um, so, uh, you know, I can give you a quick, a quick, you know, I, I was in the NFT space, in the blockchain space for the last couple of years, um, since, you know, end of what, beginning of 2018, I guess. So, you know, was was working with NFTs. Did I see this coming this fast? No, I mean, I, no chance. I think Top Shot took things to uh, another dimension on the, the digital front. And then even with cards, uh, really hard to predict 2020 and, and the boom that we saw. So, look, I, I wish I could say yes, but the answer is no. So why do you think, what was it about Top Shot that really clicked in the sports collectible market that kind of altered the marketplace? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the unique thing with Top Shot versus, you know, all the other kind of collectibles here, right, is, A, they did something slightly different, right? I mean, the moments are, are, are different than, you know, PNGs and other things we had seen historically kind of being the, the, the tried and tested, you know, mechanism. Um, and, and PNG is probably an oversimplification, but... I think what Top Shot did incredibly well is a. I think the NBA license really does give a ton of credibility and brand um, brand equity to the projects it supports. So I think that helps. But I think the guys at, at Dapper and you know b- they're big fans of the team, um, they've done an incredible job marketing this, getting players involved. I mean, the fact that I'm going on social media, seeing the Josh Hart's of the world. I mean, I was on a flight the other week as an ESPN, you know, watching ESPN on the, the little screen and it was about Top Shot for 20, you know, 15 minute segment. I mean, it's incredible the hmm. way that they've been able to kind of make this appeal to a mass audience. Yeah. I, I find it amazing as well that, the, that this has happened um, from the, from the, the traditional memorabilia market, which is a lot of what you're doing. Um, take me through, why do you think now, I mean, you've already said you were surprised too at the explosion and in interest in pricing 
as you look back on this now, why do you think that this happened? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there has to be some credence given to the fact that people were home for the last year. Um, a lot of people went home to, you know, wherever their actual, you know, family resides, people have their old cards. You know, I think there was an uptick in the market. You know, if you, you can track it pretty closely. And I think Darren Herman from, you know, from Bain Capital, he, he does a uh, midlife uh, crisis cards. <laughs> He's done a bunch of deep analysis on this, um, on this space from, you know, really from, from a more kind of financial perspective and a real data driven perspective. And I think you have to take into consideration that, that COVID did actually in a weird way help um, the industry, right? And, and, and there's tons of nuances and layers to all of this. But I think with people home, having access to these things, re kind of connecting with this hobby, you obviously had, you know, bigger names getting into this space earlier in, in, in 2020, it becoming kind of, you know, a more marketed, <clears throat> a more marketed kind of hobby than it was even a year prior, right? And so I think there was a perfect storm of a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, again, it's really hard to say exactly how that's going to play out. And, and, you know, I guess the, the kind of obvious question is like, okay, when, when everybody's vaccinated, does, do things go back to the way they were or, or some lesser version of where they are today? And I think that's, you know, something that we, we, we think about a lot. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, is it trending that way? Because I know the numbers aren't high yet, but vaccinations have rolled out. It is spring in, in the area living, so people are now going outside and they are starting to get life back. Are you seeing a tick downward um, back towards pricing or interest that was more normal pre-pandemic? Truthfully, I I really don't think that we're going to get to pre-pandemic levels. Um, I think the hobby's grown, right? I think the hobby is is becoming more accessible, more, you know, attainable for more people. They've they've learned about it. People are collecting. I mean, just looking at social media and and the fact that you have 18-year-old streamers and, you know, probably younger, but, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s. So, in terms of people like even I fall, like everyone's starting to get the kind of itch. And I think you're seeing part of it is that the, the demand is going to increase over time, right? You have more people interested in the hobby. You have more eyeballs on the space. Whether or not things, you know, look, I don't think that you can, any market can sustain the kind of growth we've seen in the last year for, for many years consecutively, right? I think that's, that's unlikely. But I don't think that it's like some massive bubble at all. Um, I think there's little bubbles within, you know, the, the general collectible space. But I don't think cards as a whole um, are heading in the wrong direction at all. I just think that if people are expecting the same kind of growth year over year over year, yeah, that's an irrational belief, right? I mean, that's just, it doesn't happen, but I think that it continued, it can continue to grow at a more steady rate. Um, and we'll obviously have, you know, better years and, and worse years not to be Mr. Obvious here, but I, I think that's my, my general perspective. I don't see like, I mean, look, look at the prison price, look at the box prices and, and how fast these things are moving still. Um, it, it's, it's not going anywhere. Um, and in the um, tangible cards that I collected versus the new digital type of collectibles, um, are, are you seeing either one of them trend one way or the other at this point or, or a stabilization of either side of that at this point? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the, the, the obvious you know, the, the obvious truth here is, look, people are getting over and we're starting to see this more and more. And, and look, Dibs is predicated on this, so I'm also, you know, somewhat biased. But I think people are getting over the concept of possession being tied to ownership. And when I say that is, like, I have to physically hold something or have it somewhere that I know that I have it, right? Um, and I think people are getting much more comfortable with this kind of digital 
concept of, of I do own this thing, right? And I don't have, you know, some of these, the, the, the features of, of a physical card, but I have a lot of them. Um, and I have a much more liquid and, and fast way of transacting them really in, in an easier way of showcasing them, you know, to my, my tribe, my community on, on, you know, social media applications and other things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the digital side is where you're going to, like you're already seeing this, this year's just been a massive, I mean, top shot alone, I don't know what their numbers are uh, currently, but I mean, doing $200 million, $400 million in sales, I think at this point, probably closer to 600 million by the time, you know, this thing gets released. It, it's insane, right? I mean, that's already such a huge year over year growth of the digital collectible space. I don't think that that's going to stop. I do think digital collectibles are going to be a massive growth area. Um, but I don't think that that's negative for the physical side. I think people forget, you know, that I actually genuinely believe that people are going to have more like people are going to covet the physical items even more. And, and not that the digital items aren't going to continue growing, but there's going to be a lot of interest still in, in the generalized collectible space, right? Both in the physical cards, you know, there's all sorts of different collectible verticals, big fan of, you know, comic book and comic book art as well. Um, I think that, I think there's a way where all ships rise. I just think the, the massive growth area is clearly right now digital. All right, so let's focus in on dibs. Um, wh- what was the the genesis of it? Um, why did you want to build dibs? Yeah, so dibs is, you know, it, it's a product of a few things. I mean, it's really, you know, I grew up collecting cards, um, really put them down in my 20s, and, and what kind of reignited my interest in cards was a few years back. Uh, was actually, the irony of this is kind of funny, but I was working in the blockchain space, trying to bring tops to do a digital collectible series. And, and we ended up launching our first one with uh, garbage bill kids and um, did really well, you know, and, and credit, credit to tops for, for taking a chance on, you know, myself, the, the company I was working at wax um, and putting something on the blockchain. But through that process of working with tops, you know, I ended up flying back to my parents' place, you know, going through my old cards, started getting into trading cards again, you know, in traditional marketplaces like eBay, and I just, it was just crazy to me um, to see how little had changed in the kind of, we'll call it half a decade, decade hiatus that uh, I had taken from, you know, trading cards on eBay and buying, you know, buying new cards, frankly, at all. And so really what I was looking at and, and the impetus for divs was having been in this world of, of kind of this digital trading world and, and prior to Wax was, was in kind of the in-game item trading world and seeing how unbelievably fast these things were moving and how different the psychology was and, and how much, you know, a new generation really appreciated these, these systems and these things. Um, this is really a product of, of kind of living in, in this, this digital world and then getting back into physical and caring about that and trying to find a way to map, you know, what are the best parts about the physical card and the digital kind of trading spaces and trying to, trying to kind of find the, the sweet spot between the two where we could bring this, hobby to a lot more people in a much more accessible way, not, not only from a cost perspective, but honestly from, from a fun and user experience perspective as well, where, you know, I think it's really hard to get an 18, 20, 25 year old, whatever, um, 30 year old for that matter, even, you know, my friends, uh, into buying a hundred cards on, on eBay. And I think when you give them an application, you can introduce them to the hobby. They can participate in a much more, you know, real time, organic living marketplace it's much more tenable for a much larger audience of people. And in terms of fractional ownership, um, can you kind of talk me through um, what the thinking was to try to bring that to dibs? Yeah. So I think the, you know, fractional is kind of, it's really been interesting to me for a while. Um, You know, follow the space uh, for some time now and uh, with rally and Otis and uh, you know, 
mythic markets and, and masterworks and people kind of entering that space. I think fractional, what's intriguing about fractional at the core, right, is, you know, and this, we, we can debate this, but it, there's a philosophy there where it's, it's almost everybody gets, everybody basically has the same budget, right? And of course, people have more money than others and, and, and all that, but like you can choose value at whatever budget you have today. And I think it's a fascinating concept of housing and, and, and bringing accessibility to these, you know, especially with cards where it's almost like, it's almost impossible for any average American or, or, or person on this planet to get involved in meaningful cards, um, you know, in the traditional markets. And so by providing fractional and, and we do fractional quite differently than, than, than most, but it gives everybody this ability to choose what's their value point and, and collect cards and players that they would have no option to in, in a traditional world. And so I find that fascinating um, from that perspective. And then there's other reasons as to, you know, why we want the fractional, but hopefully that, that answers at least the yeah. basics. Yeah. Um, so as you look at the modern person who's involved with your, your marketplace and it, it, you're a little younger than me. Um, but I was very much when I was young, I was very much into cards and specifically baseball cards at the time, which was the popular, um, collectible at the time. Um, for me, um, you know, I, I think I knew what my motivations were. I, I wonder if those motivations for this hobby are different now utilizing a modern marketplace. Do what do your collectors want out of the experience? I think it's, look, it's hard to say, hey, this is exactly what they want, right? Across, across a huge, you know, cross-section of individuals with different motivations, different, you know, thought processes and, and all sorts of, you know, uh, underlying philosophical differences. But I think, you know, when you look at this, right, it, it's, it's a new kind of like, it's a different way of, of, of really the same hobby, right? I think like when I was growing up, it was, things were much more simple, right? I think, you know, there's a handful of brands, you, you pick the cards. I think with this generation and, and really the people who are coming to dibs is, you know, there's still a collector's mentality, right? It's, it's tied into a lot of other things though. And there's a ton of, you know, I think you're seeing kind of almost like what happened in the sneaker industry and, and, and it's still going on to this day, but really kind of got spearheaded with you know, the stock X's and goats of the world where it's, it's beyond, you know, it's beyond just, it's not just profit. It's not just collecting. I think there's this very interesting cross-section of people really love watching these sports, right? You see fantasy sports emerging in this crazy way, um, you know, sports gambling to some degree, right? And there's this kind of cross-section of, of collecting meets, you know, kind of fandom and fantasy sports here where people want to be right. People want to watch their yeah. sports. They want to capitalize on, on those, on that passion that they have, right? And they want to enterprise for themselves. And it's, and it's beyond simply just one motivation. I think there's part of it is like people love to showcase like, Hey, like these are my thoughts and here's who I'm like, you know, I'm betting on. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm collecting this player because I think I have some knowledge about where they're going or how this season's going to work out for them. Um, you know, long-term career plays. I mean, we see all sorts of different types of, of collectors on the platform and some people who just buy and, and bought into one or two drops and they sit on it. And they love to showcase that, you know, on their iPhone to their friends. And, and, and that's one use case. And you have some people who trade 500 times a month, right? And they buy all sorts of little pieces of things. And so you're seeing different motivations. But I think at the core of it is this, this new kind of concept that, you know, is not new. It's probably the wrong term. But it's a new generation of, of capitalizing on their passions, right? And, and really being able to showcase them in a meaningful way to, to their tribe and their community. Um, so we're seeing that. 
All right. Last thing for you, I want to go back to kind of the, the broader question about where this is all going, especially amid the wave of Top Shot and the other NFT and digital collectibles that have really blown up here. Um, as you had mentioned, you know, when we were collecting, you know, it was cornered by Tops and Fleer and Donris and other companies that had the rights to make the collectibles, the tangible collectibles. Um, Rob Gronkowski made his own NFTs. Tom Brady's about to do the same. You're seeing athlete after athlete, and I'm sure others in other realms are going to be doing this. Um, do you think there's going to be some level of consolidation or is Pandora's box so open that that's impossible to corral back in? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question, Bram. Uh, I think you're starting to see a trend that I don't think is going to stop in, in one respect. And that is that people like, especially these athletes, right? Like the deals they have with, whether it's, you know, top spinning upper deck, I don't think they're satisfied with just that. Right. I think these, this, this kind of like LeBron James, Travis Scott, whatever you want to call it in the entertainment and sports space, these people want to be their own businesses, right? They want to have creative, right? Like creative control. They want to make cool things. They want to actually, you know, benefit from all the hard work they're putting in. And I think, you know, we talk to talent, you know, a lot and, and have had some really interesting meetings and you just see time after time. It's, well, you know, I don't really get anything from that deal. And it's not just money, right? It's like, I actually want to be involved, right? I want to promote this thing. And so I think you're going to see less consolidation around and, and consolidation. It, there's kind of two directions of consolidation, but I think you're going to stop seeing the world where you're going to start to start to stop seeing the world where it's just like one holder, one IP license, and there's nobody else in the space, right? I think you're going to start to see like the actual athletes themselves really evangelize their own product, obviously consolidate amongst themselves, find ways to really promote cool stuff that they can get behind and that they actually benefit from. So I think the world's trending in a more, you know, called decentralized direction or, or however you want to put it. But I think the days of, you know, and I think would be interesting if we just look at the card market, right? Where, you know, Panini has basketball and football licenses, right? And, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and, and topless baseball, but, you know, I think I would love to see a world where it wasn't always just one provider who had a licensed card. Like, I would love to see a world where everybody competed for having the best cards. Um, you know, and, and maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm uh, in the minority on this particular thing, on this particular topic, but I would love to see a world where we get upper deck cards again and clear cards and, you know, tops, you know, basketball and football cards. I would love to see a world where it wasn't all so segregated to who has the license, right? And it's more of a competition of who makes the best product, who's got, you know, the right supply and demand kind of economics behind it and, and creates the, the, the most beautiful stuff, right? Um, so I think that if I had to guess, and I have, you know, my insights know better than yours on this, but I do think there's going to be a world where we're going to stop seeing that, right? I think it's going to be a more open market and more competitive Um and you're going to start seeing talent teams, the leagues really kind of take hold of, of this, uh, this space in terms of wanting to kind of have their own stake in the ground. And it's not going to be business as usual for the, for the next 10 years. Yeah. I think the Gronk one was so interesting in that he didn't use the marks of the Patriots or the Buccaneers, but did utilize moments that is clearly intellectual property of the NFL. And th so there's a real gray area there over who owns it? You know, if that took place on their field, do they own it as long as if they put a Patriots logo on it? But do they not if they don't, because he's the one who made the play. It's really it's a really interesting space right now to try to figure out. And I'm sure there's going to be some courts that are going to have to figure all that stuff out at some point. 
about to say, going to be a lot of lawsuits, yes. right? I, I think it's going to be a, 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 an interesting next couple of years in terms of, <clears throat> you know, there are longer term deals, right? And there is, you know, these, these massive leagues who do, you know, that are, you know, I, they have, they ha- there's reasons for them to, to have some level of control. But I think, I think it's so interesting to see that, you know, the, out, the, the talent on the field and the talent on the court or, or even, you know, music talent and others are, are starting to be like, well, hey, I, I don't need this old model, right? Like I actually, I'm Rob Gronkowski. I can go sell a two plus million dollar item that literally has just got my likeness on it, right? And, and of course you alluded to it has more than just his likeness. There's an element of, of, of him being on the field and, and, and whatnot. But I think it's fascinating. And I, and I like, look, I applaud the, I applaud the athletes, right? Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, they're the ones who are making this stuff. They're the ones building their brand. They're the ones who are making these things valuable and they're making them fun and cool and, and, and all of that. So I'm here for, I'm here for the athletes yeah. um, to go do the whole thing. And, and I'm also here for the leagues and the teams to, to start thinking more creatively. I would just love to see the space innovate and really kind of step away from this business as usual concept where we only have this, these are the options. Here's your five, you know, flavors and, and go, you know, deal with it. I think, the more we open that up, the more creative people we're going to get and the more interesting the products are going to become out of that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I, I think we're all here for all of it. So we'll see where it goes. Evan Vandenberg is the CEO of Dibs. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. On the next Future Sport Podcast, esports can't get live events back soon enough. After we pulled the plug on on live events, and we managed to sort of take all of the broadcast and production infrastructure and the competitive infrastructure and pretty rapidly pivot and bring that into an online and remote production environment, which is now the world we've been in for about a year. That's John Spector, head of the Overwatch League. Our conversation talks the technology of worldwide communication and how that is bridging and still limiting connectivity worldwide. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.